Welcome back to What We Don't Know. I'm your host, Xander Schultz. On this episode, I'm talking to Mondale Robinson. He's the founder of the Black Male Voter Project. They've been doing incredible work all over the country trying to organize black men to show up and turn out. My initiative, Defeat by Tweet, actually helps fund the Black Male Voter Project and their work. In this episode, Mondale gets into how to organize black male voters, his aspirations for black men and their participation in democracy in the future, and a lot of the incredible learnings he's had along the way. All right, let's get into it. Mondale Robinson, founder of the Black Male Voter Project. Thank you, brother, for carving out the time, chatting with us. I'd love, I'd love to hear the origin story. Like, how, how are you where you are in the world? You know, you all have been super effective, one, one of the most important organizations, in my opinion, in this whole election cycle. So I'd love to hear, you know, how you got rolling with this thing. Yeah, so, I mean, the origin story is actually a lot older than, than my involvement in politics. My origin story as, of the organization and myself is uh, growing up the, the grandson of a sharecropper and the son of a son of a sharecropper. Right. So my father and his father worked on a farm that neither neither, neither of them owned or had dominion over. So my father had to stop school in third grade so as to prevent his father from losing the farm by being extra hands. Third we know grade. how that worked. Yeah. So wow. and we know. Yeah, we know. We know all the trauma associated with that, especially when you couple that with the fact that the same farm that they were sharecroppers on, uh, it was a plantation pre-dating the, 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 the sharecropper model. Uh, when, when my dad was a teenager, one of the white guys that he had grew up with on that farm, the farmer's son, uh, smacked my grandfather. My dad reacted. My dad had to run away from North Carolina and they had to hide him in Virginia for a couple of years so the Klan wouldn't kill him. But when he came back, he got a felony conviction. Uh, that felony conviction for my father has affected everything I do in life. And it also is the origin story. It's part of the origin story for Black Male Voter Project because my entire life after hearing that story or like continuing to hear that story as a child forced me to like want to know why this happened to my father and also how it had a crazy impact on my life. We grew up extremely poor. I'm one of 13 from Eastern North Carolina. And it was directly related to my father's conviction. And I also knew that, you know, uh, my father could do anything. The dude literally could build roads. I mean, like he did it paved driveways, put roofs on, lay anything with his hands in, in building. He was about it. Um, but we, it didn't change the fact that we were extremely poor and also extremely black in black North Carolina. But um, growing up, what I realized was my father was not an anomaly. He was more of the mean black men of his age right. had this story. Um, it, it was either theirs or their father's story. So I, I began to chase, un, trying to understand, like, why is this the case in this country who supposedly talks about uh, the betterment of all folk um, and equality? Um, what, which led me to politics, which I did for the better part of the past 20 years um, and as a consultant and mostly as IE work. And I just witnessed a bunch of white consultants, mainly white men, uh, talk about what was the best thing to do to move black men. And people just continue to praise them, what they were saying. Even for me, it sounded nonsensical at times. But for the most part, it just seemed ineffective and not working, mainly because if you look at the history, it showed that because majority of black men don't participate right. in electoral politics. What were some of the worst ideas that kept kept being recycled despite low turnout? You kept hearing these ideas from these guys get funded that you're like, this is totally on the wrong track. 
that, you know, start, I'm, I'm sure some of that inspired you of like, look, look, these strategies work. I don't know why you guys are doing this. What, are, what were some of the things you were hearing? Well, I mean, so we, we could talk about policy or tactics and both of them are bad. Like, so for instance, the idea of talking to black people about their, black men, especially about those who don't participate. And if you look at the, uh, the role of those who are already registered, nearly 50% of black men have not voted in five consecutive elections, right? So that's a powerful critique of how we play politics. So uh, I, I think part of it is talking to black men about you have an obligate you're obligated to vote. You must vote because of your ancestors or what people died for to get you right. the right to vote. And, and, it, and it discounts the history and lived experience of black folk. If you consider, especially black men, if you consider what Maslow hierarchy tells us about people living on the margin, that those who are insecure in their basic needs, their safety needs, which makes up part of their psychological needs, it is improper or illogical for them to think that they're going to participate in things that are seen as self-actualization. Right. So saying it back at you, that people were going at this community with like an ideological argument and not making a tangible argument about why why this is going to have an effect on your life today, tomorrow, and the next day. Well, I don't I don't think you can make that argument at all. I think I think the argument that is that is not the argument to make, right? Because okay. black people are gonna especially with black men who don't participate in electoral politics, what's gonna happen is you're gonna get se- severe pushback. And it's going to lead, especially if you're talking about a national election, it's, you're going to say to black men, hey, you got to vote for Joe Biden because Trump is this, this and this. And right. black men are going to tell you they're going to tell you my life didn't change under any president. Right. And it, this is a, this is consistent with people who are living on the margins and in, 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 a, in a state of poverty that permeates their entire existence. So the correct way to conversate with black men, especially those who are living on the margin, is not about a national election or, or a personality be it Trump, Biden, or Barack Obama. It is, though, uh, effective to talk about the issue that they find most important, mm-hmm. not what the polls tell you. Because what happens is it's so much lost in polls and nuance. Like, if you look at the crime bill, you would believe that, the 94 crime bill, you would believe that uh, 80% of Black people wanted more cops. What they really were saying, if you dig deep, is we want to be policed like white people are policed. You right. understand what I'm saying? Right. So, like, the, the idea of more cops to Black people in that time when when everything that was going on in the 80s and 90s uh, seemed like, well, we need what, what white people got. And that seems like more cops. No, what they're really saying, if you dig deep and have a real conversation, is we want better cops, better policing of black bodies. So without that understanding of like that, the number one issues for black men isn't health care. It isn't uh, who's the president. It's more about basic needs. We need to be secure in economic needs, which are trades back in school is the number one issue for black men in this country, believe it or not. Um, and if we're not talking about that, then you can say whatever you want to about either one of the candidates. It's not going to work. So this is not to say that black men won't vote for Joe Biden. It is to say, though, talking about Joe Biden won't be the motivator to get. Right. That's not going to get that's going to get people to turn out. Exactly. So we work on we use uh, what the, the lessons learned from Maslow hierarchy needs and also behavior psychology to change the way black men look at politics, electoral politics. And we also don't we don't play the transactional nature that exists in traditional campaigns. Another problem with that is, I mean, like with campaigning, the tactics is the transaction nature. Trying to come to a community two months before and say this election is the most important or this uh, this candidate is the most important. Right. You might as well just go back to the fried chicken and church fan uh, tactic because that ain't because that shit ain't effective at all. It's uh, yeah, that people it's other other folks have talked about, like using using black community like a credit card, like just go go use it when you need it, you know, and, and it's a get out of jail free card. And a lot of black communities have felt like they've been used like that without actually being, you know, people trying to talk to them and, and actually solve their issues. I've heard that a few times. So going back to, you know, your 
you're seeing these white consultants make these pitches, you know, as, as you're as you're thinking about, or maybe you're not thinking about it quite yet building Blackmail Voter Project, but you're seeing this happen. What happens next? So what happens next is I, I decide to organize in a different way, something that's not transactional, not seen as uh, overtly political or inherently political, but it absolutely is. So what we did was I, I literally took the last five years of this of my life uh, just gathering research on black men. Basically, whenever I would do an IE project for somebody, I would always find a portion of their budget to, to focus solely on the lowest performing uh, black men in whatever state I was in and using my tactics. And what we found out was when you engage black men, just like you engage anybody else, they vote just like super voters or, or at a higher level or equal to, which means voting is a habit that's formed by resources being spent on it. And it has to, it can't be any type of resources. It has to be uh, true to like the ills that are affecting whatever demographic you're talking to. So with that, with that information, I felt like, OK, if I keep doing this for other organizations who have a an electoral only focus, what I'm going to do is become a part of the transactional nature that black men see as problematic. So I said I need to do this on a permanent basis and be where black men are all the time. So this, this is when I formed Black Men Voter Project. You said a couple of things. You said, look, you need to talk to black voters like we talk to all the other voters. And you said black people want to be have the same police system that you know white people have. Is it is it frustrating at times? I imagine like when we're when we're talking about how to reform these systems that like we actually do have the systems we need. <laughs> There's all these examples of us doing it the right way for different segments of the population. We act like we have to be so imaginative to figure out how to how to appeal and be just to this particular demographic. I imagine that that can be frustrating as I've seen you kind of make that comparison twice now. It's like we have we have the right system over here. They they exist uh, in healthcare. And, and I mean, like, if you want to affect black lives in a positive way, treat them in the hospital like you treat white people. Like, if you look at the studies, ambulance get to black houses a couple minutes after they went to a white house. Uh, police respond slower to black problems in black communities. If things were treated just like they are in white communities, I mean, you would you would extend black life so much. Just treat it, just giving black people the white the white experience in America. That's not to discount like what. <laughs> just give give, I mean, give that package. Can, yeah, can, we, can white, we get that package? Let, yeah. Let me sign up for the white experience, please. So, so you have uh, a theory of change around political power. Is that how we get there? Is that how we get to this more uniform experience, that investment in political power? Well, here's what I tell people. Our problems are systemic. So, you know, I hear people talking about capitalism as the answer. Like, oh, if you just, if you just form black businesses, and I'm going to say, well, that, that's not really going to, black businesses aren't going to address uh, the problems that are plaguing black people. We saw this in in Wilmington with the race riots when they took over the government and ran out lawyers and doctors back in the turn of the century. Uh, we saw this in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We saw 100%. this in Durham. We saw this. We saw this when the federal government created redlining policies. So what, what I'm saying is, capitalism isn't the answer. Policies are. Policies is an inherently political thing. In order to have people advocating for policies you support, they need to be elected officials. That, by definition, means uh, part of the solution, a major part of the solution, definitely. Um, after educating folk, uh, like you said, get your people. After you get my, after I get my white people in line, my next thing <laughs> is we need to get, we need to get, we need to get people of all races and colors and genders and non-gender conforming folk that think black lives really should matter and is affected or shown in their policies. So yes, I think, poli I think politics is the answer.
Can we jump towards like, you know, I'm interested in, all right, we're building political power. What does the work actually look like? Like, I, I don't think a lot of people know, like, they're like, oh, there's community organized. They don't know what the day looks like, especially in 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, too, which I imagine is wildly different than other years as well. So, so what does that work look like when, you, when you're going to build that political power? Yeah, so for us, it, for us, our, like I said, our program is not traditional, right? We automatically assume that we're trying to address 150 years in black men, 150 years of being tested as a guinea pig and try to make people feel whole. I say 150 years because, excuse me, uh, what happened in the 60s was not the first time supposedly black men were given the right to vote. It happened with the 15th Amendment, right? So for 150 years, I tell people all the time, black men have been ground zero on how you suppress votes and ever since that day. So what, what we are doing is we, we have to, we automatically assume it's going to take 11 touches to move a brother from no faith in the political system in an election cycle to faith in a political system. Yeah, there, now, there's rational apathy, right? It's not just apathy. It's like rational apathy. You look at the history and you're like, hey. It's not, like, even, it's not, Xander, it ain't even apathy, brother. It's antipathy. And it's important that we make that distinction because- Can you make that distinction for me? What, what, yeah, is, what yeah. do you mean so, when you say so, that? So apathy is like, oh, I don't care about it, whatever. It's, it's blase. Right, right, right. Like, whatever, whatever. Antipathy means I have a fucking level of hate for this system, right? right? right, right and that's right. different. And if you're going to somebody thinking that they don't care about something, your tactics are already wrong, especially when they hate it, right? So when someone hates something, right. that level of antipathy- They're not neutral. In. They're not neutral. Black men aren't neutral in politics. We have a serious hate for it. And rightfully so, because everything that's plaguing black men are inherently political. And we don't talk about, we don't present politics to black men that way. We present it to them four years on a silver plate, like you say, in a credit card mentality. And, that, and I think that's the trash that lowers uh, voter turnout, especially under the demographic I'm, I'm seeking to reach. So, so this is why this is why it takes so many more times to uh, address black men, especially when you're thinking about the behavior psychology aspect of it and what it takes to change habits and break habits. Right. So, eleven touch points. What are, What do those yeah. touch points look like? Is that door to door? Are we doing like what does that look like? Yeah, it's multimodal, man. It begins with our our conversations, which are called Brothers Be Voting. Um, those are our focus group to find out what's most important to this community. Um, and, and in that conversation, there are no cameras, there are no white people, there are no women. It's only black men. We elect, we, we bring in two, three, maybe we try to have no more than 70 people. And, and out of those 70 people, we try to have no more than four politicians or people that play politics. So the room is filled with people who are gang members, people who are, are drug dealers, people who don't vote at all or vote very sporadically. And what we do is we, we, we try to figure out what issues are most important. We don't allow those who are politicians or, or politicals to control the conversation. And we let them learn because what they find out real quick is the shit that they're saying that they were taught by the, the political parties is all the way off. Mm. It's all the way disconnected. Um, so in this conversation, we build out what issues are most important. And from there, we build our platform. With that platform, we begin the engagement portion. Uh, we have a, a whole step, five interactions that are not a part of traditional campaigns and those five interactions the first five are all about learning what's important to the black man. Well, who do they see as leaders in their community? Uh, what issues are most important to them, their community? How are we going to make their community whole? So it's all about the humanizing of the political process for black folk. And from it there, we go to the building phase. Go ahead. It, it seems to me like, like one of the mistakes consultants would make right off the bat, even if they didn't have, if they had the questions you were going to ask, even if you gave them the questions you were going to ask, they wouldn't have built the room the way you're talking that you guys built it. It seems like it, you're, you're constructing these places so it maximizes authenticity. Like you don't want other other folks in there where people are trying to look good or sound a certain way. We just want as authentic answers as possible. And that's the type of things where if you're not funding 
black leaders going into black communities, you're going to miss that granularity, like that, that type of precision and how, how you get the actual right information. And, and, and I, I think I think what you just said is, is spot on and important. And the sad part about it is there's so many people that look like me, bro, that play politics and won't say that to donors. Like I and I, I'm, it's not because I'm coy when I'm in a room, but I'm talking about some of our people are in a place where they can play politics. Unfortunately, playing politics is not what happens with black men at the lower rung of life. They die from politics. We die from politics. And that's not hyperbole. That's real. So I am I'm, I'm obligated. I'm obligated to tell that truth, to say that you can't be, you can, you could definitely be an ally. You could definitely show up like you show up, Xander, and, and other folk, um, but you can't do this work in this way and, and expect it to be authentic because, you know, certain demographics being around certain people change what's going to happen and what's going to be said about uh, and how they're, how they're perceived. Even, even with black women in the room, sometimes it changes how brothers interact. And that's just, right. the, that's something we have to come to grips with. And yeah. that's not a shot at- We all, we all try to sound a little different when women are around. So for, for sure, right? It's, I mean, if right. you want to, if you want to see, you know, I don't know if it's men's true colors, but the room's definitely different when it's all men, for sure. It just is. And I, and I, and I tell people all the time, like, I mean, like, this is my, like the barbershop talk thing that people try to do. It is, it is improper, not right. just- not not just because you're going to get bad information to bring white people to the like white candidates to the barbershop and think you're going to get authentic answers. Right. It doesn't mean that people are going to lie to you. It just means that you're not going to get the whole truth. People are not going to give it to you. But as soon as you leave, they're going to be like, man, what the fuck is this? Right. You know what I'm saying? And also what happens, though, is even if people do bring somebody to the barbershop, like a politician or something, what you're doing as a politician is you're risking that person that brought you there like the owner of that barbershop, you're risking their entire legacy and importance to the community. Because what happens is once you get elected and do something that is questionable to the community, they're going to be ridiculed about that. You're tethered to them. Because barbershops aren't just barbershops and places mm-hmm. where black men go hang out. These are spaces where we were only allowed to work at initially during slavery. And then once once slavery ended, it became organizing spaces for like or safe spaces for black men. So it is, it is so dangerous that you are willing as a, as a politician or, or anybody, a political, to use that space for such a transaction, uh, action, uh, action. All right, so, so you're, you're hosting these community gatherings, you're getting authentic answers about what matters. What happens next? Next becomes the engagement process that I was talking about. Those first five conversations with brothers, either at their door or on their phone. Our program is multimodal, on the phone, um, either texting or calling, and we're also doing digital targeting. So our program is a complete program to reach black men. Um, and it's all and it's all about that issue. It's all it's all in the rhythm of the lived experience of black men. And by rhythm, I don't just mean like to music. I mean the way we talk to each other, the way we interact. Our text messages don't sound like shit. Nobody else is it's like, yo, what's good? Yo, what's good? <laughs> right. Uh, and it, yeah. So uh, I, I mean, and it's important because it it it, it normalizes. It, it's painful when that's mimicked too. It's almost worse when it comes oh. from the wrong side. Like ESPN Ooh. is hard to like <laughs> listen to or watch these days because they do so much of that. Just like, Xander, oh, it's just on. worse when you're not who you are. Too. That that came out in a someone, some another organization trying to mimic the work that we're doing. They have a name very similar. <laughs> they they created a name very similar to us. I'm not even joking. They sent a text message to people like I guess people told them uh, about our text message program, right? And they sent a text message like Art, spelled just like A R E N T, with the apostrophe and everything in the text message. Comma, like they had all the commas and everything, and right? Yeah. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of the the bullshit, but they didn't use slang anything. from the West Coast talking to people in the South. It was just real bad. It was it was just real bad because they were like, and they didn't they they, they right. didn't spell out the word. They put like they put like hashtags instead of words. So I'm like, 
already you lost the population you're trying to speak to. First yeah. of all, you started out with aunt. You started out with aunt instead of ain't. You know, it's, it's just like you, you're trying to, and then they, and then at the end of it, to show that, like, I'm gonna show you the nuance that really threw it off. In the middle yeah. of the message, they were like, they were like, uh, aren't you tired of like taxes and this, that, and the third, like not having health care? And then they said, ain't you tired of, uh, aren't you tired of Trump? And it's like you, you've not polled black men at all because if you would have, you'd have known that like adding that destroys your message to them at all. Right. You become a part of the party. Like, so yes, they are tied to Trump, but you can't present it that way. That's not how it's going to work. And uh, that, what, so you, what you're talking about, dude, at, at the crux of like all of this is we have lost so much trust everywhere. We've lost trust in institutions across the board. Like we could talk about politics, but it's also true with banking. It's also true with like startup, you know, look at how people are talking about Facebook now. <laughs> We've lost, you know, education, trust in all our institutions, healthcare. And so, you know, what you all are adding back is like trust at its core. It's like, here's a group that's not here to use you in a, in a, in, in a way that like meets their end. Their end is you having representation and we're gonna talk to you in ways so we understand you. We're not trying to talk to you in ways so we can sell you. We're trying to understand you. That's fundamentally yeah. different. What are some of the biggest wins that have come out of this so far? When you're like looking back at everything that's happened, what are you like when you, wouldn't you smile the widest? They're like, oh, hell yeah, we did that. We actually did that. Yeah. So, so I think beyond the amount of like interactions we've had with black men, like, uh, you know, like, like over 17, 18 million attempts to cycle at black men, like that is crazy to like just try to wrap my head around that. The fact what, that what, what's the men, metric attempts? What would you say 18 yeah, like, million attempts? Like, yeah, yeah. So like uh, texting, phone, phoning, uh, digital, all of that. Like it's crazy wow. to think that every every black man, uh, for, for instance, in, in under 17 states that we're in, every black man with a cell phone has been contacted by us multiple times. And that, that, that is so wonderful for me. And like when you ask me what I smile about the most, it's when I think about the primary in 2020 in Georgia, Kentucky, and New York. If you think about what happened in Georgia uh, this year, 2020, right? Uh, in the primary, we were able to turn out 134,000 black men who were already registered to vote, who had not voted in, in a primary since 2008. 2008. That means they didn't vote for Barack Obama in 2008 in the primary. They didn't vote for him in 2012 in the primary. But this year, we turned out 134,000 of those guys. Now, that's two pieces of information in there. One says that these are not kids because they've already been registered right. more than 12 years. And it also says that personalities don't work but issues with move brothers. So I was excited about that. Then we went to Kentucky and where we were. What were, just, just to slow down, what were the results of that turnout? Like what, what, what happened in those primaries? Yeah, so, so a couple things. Uh, where we were running our full program, counties like Gwinnett, we see there are no real drop off between the sheriff election and yeah. also uh, the Senate election that was on the ballot as well. Like so that, in the, but then if you go to a county right beside us, like Cobb County, there's 70,000 drop off. So between the, the sheriff election, which is a competitive yeah, sheriff yeah, election yeah. there as well, and also the Senate race. That's one of the wonderful things. The candidates that we support are out there like that. Then you, another thing is we got a sheriff a candidate, a black man sheriff candidate that is talking about ending cash bail, not shackling pregnant women. And people play people play games say, oh, it's already illegal to shackle pregnant women. It's illegal to shackle, meaning in the, where you put their cuffs with the, with the chains to their feet. We have a brother that's elected that's not going to put cuffs on. That's anti. That's anti. Yeah, that's exactly. not, not, just not neutral there. That's and a lot, of, a lot of people don't even know sheriffs are elected. You know, you, like that's if we can. I imagine how, how well does that play when, you, when you're looking at what does move a community? Sheriff elections, district attorney elections, judge elections. 
are the, are you constantly finding that those are things where people are a surprised that that's an elected position b they'll turn out for those those positions i'm not surprised that people are turn out because i've been doing like that work i can see this video later that you can show it to people uh, uh like 2015 uh before like vas became the, the ideal of a progressive VA became a real thing i was right. in mississippi i was in mississippi in a district that had never elected a black person as VA uh in the 16th district with scott cologne and when I got there, he was down 20 points and running for DA against a 27-year incumbent who was a white guy in a district that is five counties, all majority white districts. When I got there, the, the, the strategy was talk to the, you know, the traditional strategy, talk to the regular voters, talk to those who were likely to vote. And, and, and then also we need to convince some of these conservative voters to come over. I said, no, hell no to all of that. I just hired <laughs> a bunch of people that had been, I just had a bunch of people that had been affected by the DA and yeah. trained them on like what, what cultural appropriateness uh, about conversations were in long story long, Scott Cologne, who was 32, running his first election, defeated a 27 year incumbent by maximizing the black vote and getting the, the white voters who already were going to support him. Um, so what I say is I'm not surprised about people turning out about these elections, especially because Forrest Allgood was considered one of the worst DAs in the country. When people realize that you can run against these people and people usually don't, that's what is like surprising to me, the fact right. that so many people don't know that DAs and sheriffs are elected officials. Plus, because there are two visions of sheriffs in this country. For white people, they see they see uh, John Wayne and Wyatt Earp. For black people, sheriff is not that. We have a different vision of what it means right. to be a sheriff. This, right. this is the person who runs that nasty ass like box down there where your cousin, brother, or maybe even you have spent time for some shit that probably could have just been a, a citation and kept it moving. Or you're sitting here because you can't afford to get out because of this uh, debtor's prison that we call cash bail. Yeah, the, these local officials, like these sheriffs and DAs, they have an incredible amount of power. Incredible amount of power. They do. And, and, and the justice system is primarily local, right? Like the, as much as we're talking about during the presidential debates, it's it's county and state level uh, officials that are, that are deciding what happens there. Um, so sorry, I, I cut into it because I had to clarify a few things, but. Uh, the voter turnout number in Georgia is wild. It's a wild yeah. number. It's like, yeah. it, it's almost hard to fathom that that, that many people turned yeah. out. And it sounds like just all the down ballot stuff that ends up happening when you see that, that turnout is just, is just really kind of, it's the type of thing we need if we're going to really start moving towards racial justice it is those down Absolutely. ballot races. And, and so you Absolutely. are doing that work. So I, I talked kind of, I asked what makes you smile kind of in the big picture. Was there anything during this cycle that was like the most memorable in the small picture? Like anything that made you the most emotional when you were doing this work? I, I, I there some of the some of the brothers from the uh, the brother be voting conversation. Some of those guys who like came in and said, "I'll never vote. I don't vote. It ain't for me." And then by the end of the evening, they were like, "How do I go get registered? Um, I'm gonna vote this cycle." And then like checking the voter file and seeing that they voted, like that shit is that that makes me look at my father and be like, "Bro, I do it for you." That's incredible. That's really amazing. One thing I want to I want to talk to folks about because I think you know it's it's great talking about the wins you have now. I think we've never really had a country where black organizers were supported consistently in between election cycles. You know, we've we've never seen what that country lo looks like. This election cycle has been interesting in that I think there's more money there than there's been in the past. I can't prove that, but it's my sense of the situation. But we've never had a like ten year sustained run of just black organizers nationwide being funded. What happens? if Black Male Voter Project is consistently funded to the degree you'd like it funded to in, say, the, the next two election cycles, the next eight years, like, what, what do you think can happen? What are you most excited to pull off for the next eight years? 
I'm, I'm most excited to show people what real progressive DAs look like. I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. excited to show people how how black men began to uh, become the largest voting bloc in mayoral elections because mayors hire police chiefs and police chiefs control culture of their departments and police brutality is a real thing for black men. I'm excited to show people what uh, like what equality look like and also how it's beneficial to have more black men participate in electoral politics, not just for black men, but for everybody living on the margins. Everybody. So that's what I'm excited about. And I'm and, and in a real way, we're going to close that gap between black men and black women from 10 percent to this election cycle to 4 percent. And uh, and then and going forward, hopefully we just eliminate it all together. What is that number? What's the number right now of turnout percentage? 10 percent. Black women vote 10 percent. Black women vote higher than black men. What is the number? Like they're at 50 and black men are at 40? Or what is the, do you know what the number's at? I think it's, I think, I think it's 54-44, something like that. 54-44. And closing that gap is the big goal. It's my goal. Wow. <laughs> Man, I hope you pull it off. I know you're at the airport wait, waiting for this flight. I don't know if you have to run right now. I know we're over our time. All I want to do is just thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. It's pretty incredible what you're all pulling off. And it's an honor to you know be able to support you in some capacity. Thank you, brother. I appreciate what you do. And uh, this is big. Trust me, it's not a small thing. I appreciate it. All right, man. You take care. Safe travels, all right? Peace. You got it. Thank you for listening to What We Don't Know. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. You can also follow us on social. We're WWDKpod on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. All right, take care.